Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with my good friend Trish Wilkinson of the Brain Stages and we're going to be talking about brain health today. And boy do I love brains. I probably was a zombie in another life. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> a zombie. <laughs> I think brains are so cool and I'm so glad that there's lots of research and focus now on our brains and how we learn and how they affect our health. And I think it's a fascinating subject and if you guys are playing along at home or you are on your computer or your phone and you want to check out thebrainstages.com. You can learn all about Trish as we talk about brains. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. As you know, this is one of my favorite subjects too, which is how I ended up writing a book about it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, actually, I wrote it with Jackie, but Jackie has since passed away. So I am carrying the torch because we know so much more about how children's brains develop, function, and learn. Well, actually, how everyone's brains develop, function, and learn, because it turns out our brains aren't finished developing until our mid to late 20s. And hopefully, we are always evolving and growing, and our brains are always changing. That's what the whole plasticity thing is about. I mean, it sounds so weird to say our brains are plastic, because they're not really plastic. <laughs> what they are, it just means that they're they're movable. We're not stuck in one place or another. That's why when people lose a limb, for example, they can use that part of their brain to have some other kind of function, you know, like our the function moves around in our brains. And our brains are amazing. They are amazing. And I, you know, I love that we're talking today about brain health because, you know, we talk about heart health, we talk about lung health and, you know, drink enough water, be nice to your kidneys, you know, <laughs> things like that. But, but, you know, talking about brain health, all I learned about brain health growing up is this is your brain on drugs and they dropped an egg in the frying pan. Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. We're dating ourselves, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really true. But the thing that's exciting, because we've been through all of this kind of craziness over the last couple of years in education and, you know, mental health has been suffering. Kids have so much more stress and depression than they have. The suicide rate is up and parents are stressed out. They're freaking out. And here's the exciting thing is that it's pretty simple for the things that we can do to be able to recreate that whole situation, to improve mental health, to actually be better than we were since before the whole pandemic thing started. Mm -hmm. And, and, but, and the thing is, is everything is evidence-based and experience proven. Cause I've done these things in my own life and coached other people 
teachers, parents, whatever. And I'm, in fact, I'm starting to do a brain health series with schools and districts and parenting organizations because it's actually a fairly simple thing that we can do. You know, simple things. I use five things that we can do in combination that just get the brain working right, work, help with social and emotional learning, as well as academic learning. So basically improves mental health, boosts brain power and supercharges kids learning. And they're just because we've forgotten about a lot of these things. For example, kids used to walk or ride their bikes to school. Right. I mean, that was what, what everybody did. And there are still a few kids who do that, but most of us don't. Kids take the bus, we drive them to school. You know, we're also rush, rush, rush. Hey, Trish, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsors. And as we are talking about things that can help our kids, one of the things that can really help our kids is de-stressing mom. And we can take the stress out of dressing your kid for the sunnier seasons with Stitch Fix. They've got you covered for budget-friendly, bright breezy styles that your kiddos will love. Now, Stitch Fix is the effortless way to get clothes that fit your kids and your price range, and items start at just $10. And you can try stitchfix.com slash motherhood today, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your kids' fix. Now, with your feedback and input, experts at Stitch Fix learn about your kids' taste. They send styles that are perfect for them, and they're affordable for you. And so I want you guys to check out stitchfix.com slash motherhood, and you'll get 25 percent off when you keep everything in your kids fix that's stitchfix.com slash motherhood for 25 percent off when you keep everything in your kids fix that's stitchfix.com slash motherhood and you know from toddlers to picky trains stitch fix kids has growth spurts taken care of with sizes 2t to 18 and there's no subscription required you simply order a refresh as needed or set it and forget it with regular seasonal fixes you're in control now i did this it is super easy and if you have a tween, you can sit down and do the style quizzes together. And that's really fun because you can discuss different things with your kid. It's interactive. And then you get the, the box of stuff and then you try it on and whatever doesn't fit, you just put in a bag and drop it at the post office and off it goes. And it's super easy, super fun. So I want you to try stitchfix.com slash motherhood today and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your kids fix. That's stitchfix.com slash motherhood. Now, now we're talking today with brain expert Trish Wilkinson of the Brain Stages. We're talking about things that we can do to help our kids' brains to help them function better. And I'm not one of those people who is all about, oh, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, you know. <laughs> all I'm saying is that things have changed. Sure. So being that things have changed, we need to make sure that kids get a little bit of exercise in the morning and it's so that their brains will work. Most kids are coming to school and their brains are still in sleep mode. They oh, haven't made the transition. I watch they, them, Trish, they're, they're with their coffee in seventh, eighth grade now. Right. That's, that's a lot of what's happening, but it's such an easy fix. And it's funny because, you know, my kids have attention issues and auditory processing and anxiety. I mean, my, my kids had a lot of genetic stuff when, when we were raising them that I had to figure out because I felt like I'm doing, you know, I'm blowing the doors off with other people's kids 
and my own kids are <laughs> floundering and failing and that is not okay. So I had to go back. That's how all this brain stages stuff happened in the first place is I wanted to save my own kids because I knew that they were wonderful, amazing human beings, but they didn't fit in the box. Right. And what do you do with these kids who don't fit in the box? Right. So the first thing in some, you know, I talked to pediatricians and neurologists and psychologists and, you know, all kinds of people and read studies and books and articles and whatever, and kept trying things. And some of them were a little disastrous, <laughs> but the things that I did come up with, for example, when we were getting ready for school in the morning, we'd turn on some music and we'd dance around and getting ready and for school in the morning, it was moving and it worked so well with my kids at home. I thought, you know what? I'm taking that into my classroom. The other thing you mentioned water for your kidneys and all that. Well, our brains need water to function, sure. period. And we all wake up dehydrated. Right. That's just part of the human experience. And what are we drinking instead of water? We're drinking coffee and fruit juice, which is like a sugar bomb. You know, <laughs> we get, <laughs> we just get absolutely, you know, hopped up on sugar. So we think our kids are fine when we send them to school because they're on that sugar high. And 20 minutes later, they're half asleep sitting in the classroom. Sure. <laughs> So, so we all need water in the morning. So one of the first things I did in my classroom is I started having my kids run around the track or um, we do these little, if the weather was terrible, we do these little exercise routines behind their chairs, right in the classroom mm -hmm. or, you know, that don't take up very much room or whatever, and then get a drink of water because I knew with my kids, if they had a little bit of movement and, and a drink of water. Wow. What a difference it made well, to the try point it yourself. Like you like, don't, don't take Trisha's word for it. Like when I get up in the morning and I drink a big, you know, like 22 ounces, 32 ounces of water, sometimes then I go right to the gym and I work out. I am so productive, so successful in my morning work. If I don't do those things, Trish, like when I oversleep and I wander into my office, which is in the ground floor of my house, so I'm going downstairs, not even going up them, I fight to wake up. Yeah, it, absolutely. And your brain just doesn't, you're just not, you know, the synapses aren't firing the right, the same way. You know, your, your neurons just aren't doing the same kind of job. Your hormones aren't releasing the same way. And, and kids are the kids are the same way. So we're expect now they're behind after this craziness over the last couple of right. years of school. And in addition to being behind their brains, aren't working. Right. And they're already stressed out. So they're stuck in the limbic system. They're all, you know, the cortisol's going when they first get into the classroom. So the other thing is exercise and water in the morning. And then I have parents do parents and teachers do working memory games, which basically I can't really show you right now because we're <laughs> on an audio thing, but it's basically doing a sequence, having kids remember a sequence of something, which uses more than one sense. For example, we play this game called add a move where a person makes a move, then they make the same move again and the next person makes oh. another move. Then they make the same two moves and another person makes another move. And then, then they do all three moves and add another move. So it's anything where they remember a sequence and they have to use more than one sense. In this case, it's sight and movement. 
And movement is always one of my favorite ones because there's such a connection in the brain with movement and learning. It's just, I mean, I do whole workshops on just that. Right. Well, think about how we go back to caveman days, you know, even in the old, like I was home in New York and the part of New York I'm from was settled in 1806 and there's still lots of Mennonite and Amish and there's a buggy shop up uh, at the corner of my street that I grew up on where you, you fix the buggies, you know, the wheels and things. And I see the young men in there apprenticing with the older man. There might be three apprentices in there learning how to fix a Amish buggy wheel. And there's no... <laughs> YouTube, you know, there's no book to show them how to do it. It's like monkey see, monkey do. I mean, that's how we learned for millennial. millennial right, right. Know. That's how we learned for the longest time, which is why it's so important. the kind of work that we're doing now to study how brains function and learn, because we don't have the same kind of apprenticeship and the same kind of connection that we did then. We're doing a lot more online and through books and all that is wonderful, but it's still not the same. So we need to, because things are different, we just need to do things a little differently. We need to shift our routines a little bit. Right. And we've evolved so quickly with, you know, computer and technology, our brains haven't had a chance to keep up. And I, I teach this class on Mondays, uh, Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. And I was having a discussion with one of the attendees off the camera because she's like, well, I don't like to handwrite. I want to type it. I want to type it. And I'm like, when you type it, you don't get the same neurological jump, the juice. You don't connect to the emotions the same way. Like cavemen picked up a stick and painted on a wall. It goes back that far. We've only had computers and this digital technology for not not to say that not some of the technology isn't fabulous for learning. But if you're looking to process and process emotions and process ideas, pen and paper will get you much further than picking up a keyboard. Well, and a lot of that is because it uses different parts of the brain. So when we're using a keyboard and we are using those touch sensors, those touch sensors are using different parts of our brain. I just read a, a study on that recently. So the part of the reason that writing helps us process and, you know, physically writing helps us process in a whole different way is because we're physically using different parts of our brain than we are when we're typing on a keyboard, which I found interesting because, you know, you would think you were using most of the same because your fingers are still moving, right? Right. So you would think that you're using the same parts of your brain, but you're really not. Well, so, and it, I can tell you from being somebody who spent their life working in, in handwritten books and then on the computer, I can go much longer on the computer than I can do with a handwritten book. Not just because my hand gets tired, but my brain gets tired. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really true. But I'm really glad that we have computers because they're, you know, we're finding kids are dysgraphic. The thing that worries me a little though is that we're not making sure kids are holding the pencil correctly, for example. I see so many adults holding the pencil all crazy cockeyed, which right, makes like our hands a lot more tired. Yep. Kids don't like writing as much and they're so used to keyboards and all of that would be great because keyboards are great. And especially for kids who have things like dysgraphia, I'm really grateful that we have a keyboard that they can use. 
The thing is, though, like you say, when we use our hands to write, that physical writing process uses different parts of the brain that actually help us connect on a different level with the emotion centers and the cerebral cortex where we do our thinking. So there's, so there's a whole different you, connection thing. Yeah, let me ask you, what is the correct way to hold a pencil? Because I'm curious because oh, I've been writing my whole life, but I, I have a know. whole blog post on that with, with a video Ooh. at thebrainstages.com, the Surefire Tips blog. Yeah. So you can look it up. You can look it up on a video there. But what you do is you take your pencil and you pinch it between your thumb and your first finger. Okay. And then you lean the pencil on the middle finger. So like that? Yes. So you're, so pinch it between the first two fingers and then you lean it on the, the other finger. And you know what I do for kids who have a hard time holding it that way because they haven't learned that way. One of the things that we're doing is we're trying to have kids write before their little hands are ready to write. They don't have the dexterity yet. They don't have the muscles in their hands to be able to write correctly with a pencil when they're two, three, four, even five years old. So when I taught wow. kindergarten, I had kids write in salt with two fingers on, on cookie sheets because the tactile, um, you know, the, the texture of the salt with their fingers helps them. And then the larger forming the letters into the salt and then being able to see the letter, what it looks like in the salt. And then at the same time, we would play with clay until their hands got stronger. So we didn't really start writing until the second semester. We didn't write a lot with a pencil, but oh, wow. you know what? My kids could write properly with a pencil and by the end, you know, by a second semester in kindergarten, and they were already starting to put together sentences and reading. Cause I had this whole thing that I did that was brain friendly. And I didn't even understand all of the things I was doing because I had learned it all kind of piecemeal. Right. Now that I wrote brain stages and I had to read all these studies at once and figure it out. It's like, no wonder all those things worked. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know empirically that it's better. Like, you know, I've been teaching journaling and, you know, this this program, Julia Cameron program, I don't know, on off six, seven years. And prior to that, I used journaling for a lot of different things that I taught, you know, in the military community. But I couldn't articulate why it works. And I would stand up there and go, they're like, well, why can't you just type it? Why can't you? I'm like, because you just don't, it just doesn't work the same. You know, I, we didn't have the the data and the studies to support it. But, you know, um, intellectually or experientially, I know it's different. It, it definitely is different. The, the parts of the brain that you use while you're moving your hand, instead of just tapping your fingers, but you're physically moving your hand, and, and turning pages. We found that the studies show that when kids are reading actual books, instead of just reading e-tablets, right. they are, their comprehension is better. And part of that is because they're doing a certain amount of moving when they're moving the pages and there's any, anyway, it's just, it's just a little bit oh, yeah, different turn form. A page, you need to pinch the paper and move it over versus just a finger swipe. Right. And not only that, but especially on picture books and stuff, when kids are younger, you know, they're, they're looking at the pictures and pointing at things and they're not necessarily doing that as much on a screen. Some gotcha. kids do, but not necessarily as much on a screen. Yeah. I do want to mention, so because we we're talking about the brain, 
the brain health series that it has five different things that we do. So we do the water and exercise, then the working memory games, which also relax the kids. So if they come in all anxious, if they're playing a working memory game, it calms them there. It shifts their thinking from the emotion centers to the thinking centers, and then starts replacing some of that cortisol with things like dopamine and serotonin because they're having fun while they're playing. And so it, it kind of has two purposes because working memory is short-term memory. So it's what we use to apply what we already know to what we're just learning because it's what we're just learning um, is, is a short-term memory. And then um, the next thing we do is we show the kids what they're going to learn that year and why, how are they going to use it? And when they, once they know what they're doing and why, they can set their own goals and own their own learning. So it just changes the whole focus. So you become more of a coach as a teacher than you are, you know, just presenting material because it's their learning and they own it. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So, so we do this whole thing where the kids get to take responsibility. They're learning because they have a clear direction. I mean, think about it when we get in a car and we're on our way somewhere and we don't know where we're going, how, you know, anxious we might feel. Whereas if we know where we're going, we, you know, sometimes we get to where we're going and go, guy, I barely even remember driving there. Right. (laughs) Right? So, so that's that direction. And the next thing is on downtime and mindfulness, either in the classroom or at home, you know, five minutes in the car before you go somewhere so that we give kids a time to take a break because we have this thing in our brains called the default mode network. And our brains literally will go offline for a while. You know, you see kids stare off into space (laughs) and I have kids who have attention issues. So they stare off into space a little more often, right? And I have attention issues. So basically if we give our brains five minutes even to be able to do some mindfulness and some breathing and we just literally give our brains a chance to physically reboot, then that makes a world of difference for kids too. That's the fourth thing. And the fifth thing is being intentional about sleep because, and, and working with kids on how to be intentional about sleep. So we do a presentation in a community and then I follow it up with five short webinars so that we actually implement it together as a community, because all of us have been to presentations before, right? Where we go, oh, that was really cool. Wow. There was a lot of great stuff in there. And then we go back, you know, back to our own lives and we don't really do any of it. Right. <laughs> so, so there's a built-in way for people to be able to implement what we do as a community. Wow. I mean, it's amazing that you can have all this just track back to the brain. Yeah, because that's how, and, and it's simple stuff. Like, did I say anything that seemed complicated at all? <laughs> no, or like wacky or, you know, um, well, that's why, you know, the funny thing I think all the time is of the, um, you know, like with, with brain health and with, with some of this stuff, if you broke your arm or you sprained your ankle, we would think nothing about going, getting an x-ray. It's so routine. Did you sprain it? Did you break it? Do you need a cast? Do you, blah, 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 you need a screw? Like we're so blase about that. But then, you know, the most, one of the most important organs in the body, you know, we know a lot about the heart and what it can do and how to fix that. But when it comes to our brain, we don't even have an owner's manual on how to care for it. Right. 
Although it's coming. I mean, coming. I we, think so. we are figuring it out. I mean, that's what's so excited. We are figuring it out and it is fairly simple. That's why I've been doing it because people have been so many people I've been talking to parents, educators, whatever, they've just been a wreck the last couple of years trying, you know, the kids trying to keep up with their studies and the, the teachers trying to, right. trying to catch them up and, you know, just all the stuff that's been happening. So I'm hoping to, what I'm, what I'm hoping to do with this brain health series for as many schools as I can is to go into schools and, and parenting communities, whatever communities, whoever wants to have their kids do better and they want to feel better themselves for us to be able to just go through this simple process and support each other and just shifting our routines a little bit because it doesn't take that long to create a new habit. And if we do it together, there's so there's such a difference in support when a whole bunch of people are doing it versus when you're just trying to do it on your own. Right. Well, and I think, you know, not only that, but there's, there's, um, kind of a an intellectual comfort that comes along with it. You know, my kids game a lot and they're on digital all the time. And guess what? So is mom. And so <laughs> when I tell them, because they're like, mom, you really have a problem. Like sometimes I'll get hooked in some game that I'm playing and I'll play 24 hours at a clip. And they're like, mom, you need to get up. You need to move. Mom, you need to eat. You need to. And they're funny because they're, and I'm like, I'm, I'm as bad as you guys. Like, that's why I don't have games on my phone. If I have games on my phone, I will lose. I don't have social media on my phone. Those things on my phone are like kryptonite to me. I will completely, you know, just lose track of everything. And if I can recognize that and I can recognize the, the difficulties in cognition after a night of gaming, like how is somebody supposed to go to school and take a test? Right, exactly. And, and <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just so true because, and here's the thing, we can be moderate if we set up structures in our homes for how our kids can do their screen time. And because we're not giving up our light bulbs, right? <laughs> Right. I mean, electricity is here to stay. We're not giving up our screens. It's just become, they've just become too integral into our lives. I mean, we're on a screen right now doing this right. interview, right? We use screens for so many things now. It's really important that we learn how to use them in a healthy way. In fact, I have a healthy screen time course on my website right now at, at thebrainstages.com that people can get right now that's called healthy screen time. It's usually $19 and there's a code to get it for free. Um, and if, if that code ever expires, just email me and say that you heard it on one of Sandra's podcasts or radio shows or whatever. And I'll just make sure I give you, get you a code and give it to you for free. Cause I think everyone should know what healthy screen time looks like wow, because right. You know, because a lot of, I mean, most parents don't know how we, we're not born knowing this stuff. No, no. <laughs> I don't know what healthy screen time is for me. I mean, I can't tell you I've binge watched like Grace and Frankie when it came out. I think I watched 
like all eight episodes in one afternoon to the point where I couldn't, my shoulder was numb, you know, cause I was watching it on my phone. <laughs> you know, shoulder was numb. Time, you know, so I've got my arm, you know, bent in watching it on my phone privately, like in the bathroom and sneaking around the house. Cause it wasn't, you know, it wasn't material that I wanted my kids listening to. So I'm like sneaking around and, and, you know, trying to watch it on my phone. And then the next day I'm like, Oh my gosh, my neck is sore. My back is sore. My elbow hurts hurts like all from just kind of you know kind of crouching around the phone because it, you know it's moderation in all things one of the best things for our kids growing up in screens was setting a timer and then eventually having them set the timer and when our daughter got into too much screen time I mean she's a big computer person now she's a big software engineer who troubleshoots for a team of engineers I mean she she loves computer stuff and she's super creative and she can fix almost anything so <laughs> so but when she was growing up if we didn't set a timer then she could have done the same thing just watch it forever and ever and and it causes problems in our brain too much screen time in fact there's a longitudinal study going on right now we don't have all of the whys and wherefores yet because it's not finished but somebody who does a lot of screen time many days in a row their brains look like drug addicted brains because it has so much you know it's a regular dopamine dump yeah so but so basically the answer in our home was for us to start with, okay, what is healthy screen time? Scientists say maybe around two hours a day, but we don't know for sure yet. We're still waiting for all the data to come out, but we have agreed pretty much so far. Experts have agreed that two hours of screen time is probably pretty healthy. Well, and, and so screen time for me because, because oh, like, you know, kids, my kids have Spanish class. It's all on their phone. Right. So, so it's like gaming or watching TV or shows on your phone or on your, or on your screen or um, doing social media, all okay. of that kind of stuff where you're getting that kind of dopamine. It's putting you into theta waves, a little slower alpha and theta waves. Um, so it puts your brain in kind of more of a dreamlike state. All of those things are similar to what drugs do. So, now, now, and that's why sometimes kids get addicted. Like, huh? does it matter the size of the screen? Like, I know if I watch stuff on my phone, which I did a lot when I was traveling, you know, because obviously I'm traveling, um, I tend to get a lot more neck strain, eye strain looking on my phone. But if I have the TV running in the background in my hotel room, you know, I might be watching it, but I'm not really watching it. I'm doing other things. Like, does the size of the screen matter? I think more than the size of the screen that matters. It's how close you have it to your eyes and how intent you are in watching it. So the okay. studies say that it's okay with for your eyes if you look away about every 20 minutes for at least 30 seconds. Gotcha. So, so when you have it playing in the background, a lot of times you're watching the TV or whatever, but you may get up to get a drink of water or whatever you're doing. Oh, yeah, you're folding laundry. You're doing, you know, you're doing, you're a mom, you're doing 10 other things. While right, exactly. But with kids sitting there and watching screens for extended periods of time, that's, and not looking away, that's how, you know, a lot of times kids need glasses. In fact, we're finding that kids who have behavior issues when they're little, a lot of times what happens is we get their eyes checked and find out they need glasses when they're little, really little. Sure. And then 
they end up with glasses and their behavior gets better. And it's a lot of subconscious things that are happening, you know, in their brain development because they don't know they can't see because it just seems like everyone else sees the same way they do. They don't, they don't know. (laughs) Right. So it's just so interesting to me how this stuff is all connected. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, and, and, you know, connected to belief, connected to um, your, what your, your uh, brain, you know, brain is not only an organ that does things and needs, like you said, hydration needs, you know, whatever glucose or whatever it needs to run. But also there's the brain and the mind, you know, and the, the, what the brain can do and what does the brain think and how does the brain's thoughts you know, direct the body. I mean, it's fascinating because I, I always wonder, and I, you know, I know there's really no accepted definition right now, but the brain is an organ, but there's also the mind. And that to me is fascinating. Absolutely. And, and, you know, some people like the whole spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. we've had a whole show before on the spiritual aspect of what yeah. that looks like and, and how to help kids develop their spirituality, because we are more, you know, we're more than just this physical body, right? We have this whole spiritual side of us. And that's how our minds function and learn and how we think and process things. And, and like, if we're meditating and doing mindfulness things with, with kids, how things will just randomly come to us, you know, and, and a lot of that is connection. It's, it's funny because I belong to a meditation group And when we do our meditation together, and it's just 10 minutes, that group is a half an hour because there's all this information about meditation stuff. And then the end, there's 10 minutes of meditation. And it always just goes like that for me when we're in the group. And and it's an online group. So I didn't even think that would work online, but it does. And when I'm by myself, that same 10 minutes seems like forever and my mind wanders. I'm all over the place. And so I'm having to really be intentional about figuring out how to meditate for 10 minutes by myself. And yet when I'm with these other people, it's just, it's effortless. It's so funny. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, yeah, I think about like when I do try to meditate the only time I can meditate as a mom and a you know like my dad taking care of my dad in my house is when everybody's asleep like there's too much demand pulling like the lawn like right now we're doing a show and I'm thinking okay the laundry needs to be you know the laundry needs to be switched I I have to like I haven't made my bed you know with the new clean sheets from this morning you know like it's ticking away back there like how are you supposed to just quietly sit down and meditate some people can I can't I can only meditate after everybody goes to sleep I do that at night before I go to sleep and usually I fall asleep because you know I feel like Unless we're really intentional, I'm learning how to be intentional for each kind of time block that I'm working in. Okay, this is what I want to get done in this intention, because when I'm intentional, I get so much more done. Whereas if I just get shot out of the pinball game and bing, 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 (laughs) you know how that goes. And then you just go down the chute at the end of the day. and (laughs) And I may not have even really gotten much done. Except, you know, maybe, maybe I got the laundry folded, maybe just some of the wash done. You know what I mean? It's it's a whole different thing. All different thing. If, if I'm not intentional about what I want to do and, and that's been kind of, you know, that's a shift for me. That's been fairly recent that I've been trying to be more intentional about. I've been doing time blocks for a long time, but just before the time block, 
setting an intention for myself before the time block and then doing whatever it is, just that little thing. It's like an extra 30 seconds or something to just think about it and do a couple of deep breaths with my eyes closed and then start. Oh my gosh. It's crazy how much difference it makes. Huge. Huge. So how can people find out more about you? They can just go to the brainstages.com. There's, there's so much great free stuff, so many great things on the website, so much information. And if you want to connect directly with me, they can schedule a free consultation. Oh, that's terrific. And get a copy of your book because your book is really great. So yeah. Oh, definitely. Always the book. I, I, it's so funny because I did the audio book for the brain. So reading it out loud all over again, after, after the whole experience, I love the audiobook because it's, you know, it just becomes a part of yourself mm-hmm. and just remembering as I'm reading all of the experiences, cause they're like real life, real deal stories of things that happen when our kids were growing up. And cause I want people to know, you know, you're not alone. All kinds of crazy things happen. You know, like when our five-year-old we had to put our dog to sleep and she, for a while, we had no idea why she, why she was saying, you know, I think we should just kill grandma. I'd be like, excuse me, what? (laughs) And it turned out, and she went through this for a while and it turned out it was because we put our dog to sleep, our beloved dog. She absolutely loved that dog. And she was like, well, so she interpreted it in her five-year-old brain when anybody we love gets sick, the, the only kind thing to do is to right. put them to sleep. <laughs> that should make fun for Thanksgivings. And oh my birthdays. gosh, it was it's that that short story in there is called Kindergarten Nightmare. There are real deal <laughs> stories all the way through the book, but um, that story is in the kindergarten chapter called Kindergarten Nightmare because it really was a nightmare. We just thought we're raising a sociopath. We actually. <laughs> Oh, well, Trish, you're just about one of my favorite people. You have the best heart of anyone I know, and you give so much, um, not only on your website, but to your friends, your family. And so if you guys need some help, if you're interested in having Trish help you work with, you know, your kids, she did not pay anything to be on today's show. She's here because she is my resident brain expert. She's the person I go to for parenting advice. That's the biggest uh, endorsement I can give you, Trish. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.